Hey there, uh, welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, yeah, tonight we are traveling up the river into the deep jungle of Uncle Tupelo's second album, Still Feel Gone. Songs we're covering tonight are Punch Drunk, Postcard, and D. Boone. Uh, before we get into that, though, I did want to bring up a thing from the last episode. Uh, you know, we came down pretty hard on Still Be Around. Um, yeah, that was kind of a consensus there. Uh, a friend of the show said on Twitter that he was surprised since that's the song that really marks the point where the band clearly like takes a stand against the whole Bukowski uh, drinking is glorious thing and unambiguously says, you know, the lifestyle sucks and will kill you. Uh, I thought that was a good and interesting point, but I also think that the song is such a bummer that that's the dominant feature. Uh, but that's yeah, I think I think it's kind of accumulation of blows too. Uh, we were a little ground down by by kind of the the middle section of Still Feel Gone, yeah. so perhaps we didn't give it our full like, intellectual horsepower. Are you feeling kind of punch drunk? kind of punch drunk just from society right now so like i feel like i'm uh, i feel like i'm just sort of just sort of absorb every time i open twitter it's like all right what uh what happened today who <laughs> got fired how close are we to civil war 2.0 this time right but uh i have a i have a lighter side question for what? for you for punch drunk what do you got do you do you think that it's possible that jeff tweedy like bribed the sound engineer that is Yes. On this on this particular track to like crank up the bass, it is right up there in your face. It's it. There aren't a lot of bass forward, like unless you're like a Primus fan, but uh, but yeah, it's it's in there. Yeah, that's kind of a thing that's happening as we're moving through this, though. That low key, I'm noticing more and more of these early songs where the bass is kicked way up to the front. Uh, you know that I'd never really consciously noticed. Um, but yeah, god damn it, it's it's right there up in front. It's a it's a Ferrar song too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if he uh I wonder if he's just like, yeah, fine, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. I mean my guess is they worked up, you know, whatever their arrangement is, just playing live, and then it's pretty rare for them to be like, you know, live being like pointing to the sound guy being like kick bass up or this one you know I, I think that would have been a decision made in the studio like when they were mixing who the hell knows maybe but, that's maybe that's how you get that like maybe that's what they feel like their their sound was was that really punctuated bass it well and i mean like for a song like this i don't know i think you know like if, if this if they're a band of riffs like this song has a pretty good riff it sounds like a fist punching upwards and like the the bass forward thing is a big part of that yeah it uh it, and it has one of my favorite lines when you're beaten by nonfiction, which That's... i i feel like a lot like i feel like reading the news sometimes is a it's kind of a gut punch it's like he was looking forward to 2016 through 18 so just a just an off off the cuff question for you would you like this song more or less if it was called cock punch <laughs> or cock punch drunk. <laughs> okay. The weird thing to me, like, I don't know why to me, like if you call it cock punch, that's pretty clear. That's like you're punching somebody in the cock. 
Um, if you call it cock punch drunk, I, I don't know why, but in my head, like that changes the meaning a little where you're like drinking some kind of punch made of cocks and like, ah, so that's maybe a, that's me- a medicinal maybe, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's a different song. Yeah. I just, it sounds more sporting when you say, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a bit of a cock punch. <laughs> I don't know what the British equivalent of uncle, I don't know, uncle Birmingham <laughs> Um, it's like governor, right? <laughs> Gov, Gov Birmingham. Um, no, but yeah, that beaten by nonfiction, like that. I, I think that's another one of those just perfect little for our lines. You know, the following bit in that line about God still reading the headlines. Like, I, I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean, but it, it's like it's a good use of words. Yeah, it just it it feels like you're getting kind of the you're getting kind of the preview of. Uh, every J for our solo album after this, where it's you're beaten by nonfiction, is at least a little bit couched. Maybe it's not as as openly just an airing of grievances. Yeah, but I really like it. I, f- I feel like it's one of their better lines. Yeah, I agree. I, I also get a kick out of you know since we're talking lyrics, you know he, he goes into you're caught off guard by the gutter. So J Farrar talks about falling into the gutter more than any person. You know, I uh, maybe Bukowski. <laughs> maybe that's why his name came up in that discussion. Like, um, well, you know, I'll you, oh, go you, ahead. You can't really be just the riffing on the Bukowski thing. You can't really be America's drunk without falling in a couple gutters, right? That's true. Like, like, yeah, I would be very curious just to know, like, if that's what Jay Farrar had been reading back then. Um, that's possible. That's probably a, like a 20-something. Yeah, that's... You know, it's like in your 20s, if you're a reader, if you're a guy who reads in your 20s, maybe there's a similar thing for women, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's like there are a couple of very stereotypical paths you can go and you can be like, you can be the Bukowski guy. Vonnegut. You can be the Vonnegut guy or the Hunter Thompson guy. Or, um, I don't know. There's uh, there's this whole wing of like fantasy versions of that probably. Uh, Farrar was a Bukowski guy. I'd, I'd bet money. So, is is there some bizarre universe where there's like a Clive Cussler guy? Like, <laughs> like he's he's really into like. That's that's our universe. It's just a very small. You know, there aren't a lot of people on that raft. It's a very limited raft. It's like you know who I've been getting into, Louis Lamore. <laughs> I there was a kid in my high school who well, no it was Zane Gray. Oh Zane we, Gray, we had yeah. like a big Zane Gray fan. My grandfather was a big Louis Lamore fan, which is probably why there are about two hundred of his books at the cabin. So. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you should build a smaller cabin out of those books. That's it's a very meta observation. Wow, Keith. We're going to be meta all evening. Um, so thinking about the the words in here though, another thing that. So, you know, he talks about drinking. He talks a lot about working. uh, You know, so we're hitting a lot of the same old themes. Um, One of the things about working, you know, he talks about working on a freeway, but then that transitions to um, there's a road sign on the freeway that goes nowhere. And that that just, like, I I love that that's in there because I think that one of the big – they're doing a great job of capturing – the fact that one of the uh, Jesus, your computer is like a transformer. <laughs> I think one of the main concerns of living in the rural Midwest is just driving on freeways, and that's just like that's life 
Um, so I'm glad that they are not, not on freeways on interstates, you know, cause freeway has this like urban connotation and interstate is through the country. I, I'm glad that that like shows up as like a concern in an uncle Tupelo song. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of your experience growing up in the Midwest, right? You're, right. you're on a lot of roads. Yeah. I, I just wrote a, uh, you know, this thing that's like 11,000 words of autobiography. It's entirely through the lens of driving shitty cars on country interstates. You know, and then, then I listen to this song and I'm like, oh, Jay, you did it too. Yeah, you, you, I mean, maybe you guys, maybe you guys should get together or write a song together. I think now it'd just be, I, I think we're both too beaten by nonfiction. Probably true. To, Probably true. Um, I'm just, I'm looking back through my notes. We've kind of blown through a lot of what I had to say about this one. This is, a, this is a thing. It's kind of like Watch Me Fall where like, I don't think this is like one of the tippity top, top flight Uncle Tupelo songs, but it's like this really... It's another really solid showcase of like what they could do here. You know, like it's not life changing, but you hear it and you're like, yeah, this is Uncle Tupelo doing Uncle Tupelo really well. Yeah. And and probably this is just me looking for this. But when I read the the lyric, everybody spent their time just building and making someday someone will say for what? Yeah. Like, you know, like I feel like, you know, like that's like the the plot of the fountainhead, right? Like, (laughs) you know, you're building your apartment building and then. You know, somebody pisses you off and you blow it up. For what? For what? Nine to five in a blind alley. So, I mean, I guess we, sh- we probably shouldn't be interpreting Uncle Tupelo, Tupelo songs as like manifestos for I've, destruction. I don't know. That's probably not a good course of action, I feel like. that's. Hey, man, death of the author. <laughs> if, if we see it, it's there. Uh, the only other note I've got on this is... Uh, Going back to to the mix, uh, it really hit me that most of the dynamics in this song come from the drums. Like, the guitars are just going the same way all the time, pretty much. Um, you know, faster, slow, verse or chorus, there's, there's the same guitar kind of happening. And the bass, same thing, way up. And the dynamics come from Hydorn either, like, taking his foot off the gas a little bit or putting it back down. I don't know. That's interesting to me. Like a good drummer should, controlling the pace. It's really, like, that. that's, yeah. It's easy to have a uh, anonymous drummer that just is there keeping the beat. And, like, it's a cool thing when the drummer can kind of, well, take part in dynamics or just do things to shape the song, you know, other than just act like a drum machine. Yeah, it, it it's weird because when you're a kid, you think of like what makes like a really good, what makes like a really good drummer, and you think of like Keith Moon or or John Bonham or somebody who's got like a really bombastic style of drumming that you notice. Yeah, and that I guess that's one of the things I like about being like an adult music fan is that you can you can deal with like a little more nuance. Yeah. in your, in your percussion. Totally. Like I feel like whenever we saw. Whenever you see Wilco with their current drummer, yeah. um, I still refer to him as their new drummer because yeah. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> but uh, I just remember him adding sort of a different element with just his style and kind of his stage presence. Yeah, the that, band fundamentally changed with with him. It uh, I don't know. Just as it, it's neat when you can when you can appreciate something that's maybe a little more subtle than yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like if you think about that, if you think about what was held up as great, you know, when we were when we were forming our musical taste. There was a while in the early nineties when Pearl Jam was, you know, was it. And for a long time they were just like the drummer was a replaceable part. And like, you know, like I don't think I guess it's been a while since I've gone back and listened. I don't think any of their early albums are like 
awful for drums, but you know, like it, it wasn't as obviously central to the music as, as it is here. I think with Pearl Jam too, you're when your band is fronted by somebody with such a, a unique voice. Yeah. That's kind of what you focus on. Um, I mean, the music is the, the music is good, but Eddie Vedder has such a unique voice that yeah. I, f- I feel like a, that's sort of what I think about when I think of Pearl Jam songs. Yeah, fair enough. Anything else on Punch Drunk? No, I'm excited to, to talk about the song that launched a movement. Let's wade into the deeper ones. We'll be right back. All right, let's get into the postcard. I, you know, for me, like, I guess it's because of the mailing list. This seems like one of their like flagship songs. Well, that's what that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, why do you think they chose postcard? Do you think it's because it was a mailing list and they thought that was that might be it? Because it, it you think you think it'd be a song that you, you know, like Gun or, yeah. or you know, Life Worth Living or something that's 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 more noticeable yeah. when you go through an album. Well, I mean, this one it it sticks out or it's... anything on Anodyne. Well, that's I, I wish I knew the chronology of like when the postcard mailing list actually got started. Like, you know, like maybe it was. Oh, that's true. Maybe it was during this era. of. Yeah. I suppose if you're going to have a mailing list, calling it, naming it after the song postcard has some symmetry. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, I, I think Farrar at least seems to have some attachment to the song. I'm pretty sure that, uh, pretty sure that I saw Sunvolt perform this a couple of times you know and they he was pretty stingy about bringing uncle tupelo songs back for for sunvolt shows yeah for a while it seemed like he only did them in encores yeah and it was always it was always like one of three songs yeah and usually just one and then like a kooky cover or something totally which was you know and and that was always this weird contrast to wilco shows where like you know for a while wilco shows were like 40% 40% Uncle Tupelo songs. Yeah, do you feel like that's a function of not having as much material, or do you think Tweety just wasn't quite as done with it as Ferrar was? I wonder. I, I I would buy either argument. But yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, Ferrar seems to like this one. Musically, you know, it's it's kind of... it's it It's a good song. I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it here, but it is like... More riffs, more stops, more lyrics that exist as single lines. You know, like there's at this point, there's just kind of this sameness creeping in where like it's just each song is. You're just looking to see like, okay, they've got their thing. How are they going to execute their thing on this one as opposed to the last one? And the nice thing is they totally blow up that concept on the next album. Yeah. Uh, So so we have the we have the benefit of being able to look into the crystal ball. Yeah. And I and I actually I like this song. So this is this is a bad this is a bad analogy, but I'm gonna do it anyway. It's uh it's kind of like the end of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, <laughs> uh, where George Carlin is playing guitar and he's like, Let me assure you, they do get better. <laughs> excellent. Wild stallions. Wild stallions. Fantastic. Um yeah, I mean like I you know, this song has a great solo, I think. Uh, it's second to looking for a way out for, like, the best guitar moment on the album, I think. Yeah, and it's got some great lyrics. I, yeah? You know, I think 
just as well to write this postcard from hell is kind of an interesting that's, concept. That's well done. Yeah, like I, I like that one. I like the bar clock says 3 a.m. and then fallout shelter sign above the door. Yeah, yeah. Like it's the, Those lines are really evocative, um, you know, and they're harmonizing really coolly on that. Like that really just sticks out nicely. I mean, it's almost like a it's almost like a passage you would read in a novel or something. Yeah, you know the the bar clock above the above the door with the you know that you picture this old kind of grimy bar. Yeah, with the old fallout shelter totally uh, symbol. Like it, it's really for a for for a sentence. It's really uh, really powerful. Well, we talked in one of the earlier episodes about how like you know poetry is really just about using as few words as possible to evoke as much as possible and like. For our, when he's firing on all cylinders, he does that really well. He can just summon these whole little vignettes with, with a few words, and it's great. Um, not as great. I do think this song is another waste of Gary Loris, who, uh, <laughs> you know, is doing the same thing as he did in uh, Watch, or, yeah, Watch Me Fall. Um, he must have just been in, like, a very particular mood when he was in the studio. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like he's, it's not the, uh, it's not the best, highest and best use of his time, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like, but uh, on the other hand, like, I don't know what else you would have him do here because you know I was just raving about Ferrar's solo in this, and like, I wouldn't trade, you know, like, I love the way Gary Loris plays guitar, but for this song, I wouldn't like trade one of his solos in for. It almost feels like they were looking for a reason to to include Gary Lewis in, the, in these songs. They're yeah. like, or he was in town or, or something because the, yeah, like he, play, doesn't he play, he plays on trace too. Doesn't he play on like mystify me? Or, I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it's the same thing. It's just, it's, although I will say that one of the, one of my favorite concert moments was going to see Sunvolt and Gary Lewis coming out on stage and playing, a song. I don't even remember what song he played, but playing one song with them. Yeah. Like, you know, that was, that was really fun. Like, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Like, that's something that you see a lot with Jeff Tweedy bands, like bringing out friends and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like Jay Farrar plays it a little closer to the, <laughs> yeah. the vest. So, yeah. So I feel like that was, that was kind of extra fun. Yeah, totally. The unusualness of it makes it special. Hopping back to the words, my question for you. So, you know, the song talks about a postcard from hell. Is hell, in the, in that metaphor, is hell the small town that they're in? Is it the bar? Is it the whole lifestyle? I think it's just the life. Like, you know, you've just given, you've been beaten down for so long that, you know, you just can't, you might, might you're just kind of throwing in the towel just as well to write this postcard from hell. Yeah. Like, Let's take this one all the way into the ditch. Yep. Or gutter. <laughs> well, I think ditch is... There's, a, there's at least one song where they're in a ditch too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Graveyard Shift. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anywhere you can pass out is fair game. Yeah, I feel like it... I, I don't know. When you're in your early in your early 20s, that, that type of lifestyle isn't necessarily appealing, but it... It maybe it seems like okay maybe maybe that's what people do when they yeah. <laughs> when they get into their latter twenties probably feels kind of inescapable. But looking back on it as a as a middle aged person, it's just like, why would you ever want to do that? That just sounds sounds horrible. Uh, 
I don't know. I know I, so I was in rural Missouri this past weekend, uh, which, which felt like kind of field research for talking about Uncle Tupelo. Um, I can say Bethany, Missouri feels, you know, if you were sitting at a table at the Toot Toot restaurant <laughs> in Bethany, Missouri, or its attached lounge, you would basically be writing a postcard from hell. Not to... So if you had to, if you had to like describe what the clientele is like at the Toot Toot lounge, is the, is the lounge also called Toot Toot? Yep. Yeah. What, what is that? Angry is, you know, it was a weird thing where I went in there and like there was just everybody was so resentful, you know, just like, and, and maybe, you know, I mean, every place is particular, every moment is particular. So maybe it's not like that all the time. Maybe I, you know, I had also been hearing my grandfather talk about how, uh, how good farmers get it because the government pays them everything and they're just, you know, they inherit their farms and think they're big shots. So I'd been hearing a bunch of resentment anyway, but like every time we walked by anybody or people like sitting next to us, it was all just, uh, I don't know, people talking about how other people were stuck up or, you know, people had stuff they didn't deserve. I, I don't, it was just kind of, it was, it was interesting. It was, a, it was a different world from the one I'm in a lot of the time. And, like, I don't think all small towns are like this. Uh, you know, maybe that town isn't like this all the time. But it was just, it was weird to feel like I was inside this song almost. Well, it's interesting, though. If you, I think if you went into the Driftwood in South Minneapolis, which yeah. is, for people that aren't from the area, is sort of a, is sort of the, how would you describe it, the last frontier against, like, yuppie gentrification? I think that's... Well, that's exactly. how they view it. That, that is how they view it. That, I think you would. I think you would probably get that same sort of surliness. Well, well, yeah. That um, a couple of years ago, for a different podcast project, my wife went in there and uh, interviewed people, and and that is, you know, when she talked to regulars, that's what they were saying. They like railed against. So, this bar is on a main street, a major street in South Minneapolis. Um, and there are a bunch of newish restaurants that have popped up in the past few years around it that are, you know, pretty, pretty hep for South Minneapolis standards. And the people in this bar were just like on, on mic, just railing against like, well, this is the only place we can get any real food and not go and get that tofu bullshit up at the lowbrow. And, you know, like same kind of anger and hostility. Yeah, I mean, it, it is still next to a gas station called the Pump and Lunch. That's right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Not all the not all the neighborhood legends are dead. Yeah, gentrification only goes so far. But you, you could write a postcard from hell from the driftwood. I think probably. But, uh, my uh, my uncle Larry always uh, always recommends that when you're in a situation like that, you break the tension by saying something like, "God, I really miss Obama. I thought he did a great <laughs> job." <laughs> would have been great <laughs> the other thing i remember from from when we were there taping that show was the guy who kept going out of his way to tell rebecca that he was you know that he had a gun and he he wouldn't like it was this weird thing where he wouldn't say he had a gun but he kept you know he'd like make these like circular like well if i was armed pat 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 on his shoulder i would you know it's like okay yeah dude you're fucking tough we get it I think they Isn't said that the opposite of tough though. I, I don't know. I That's <laughs> why I don't hang out with the driftwood. I'm just not uh it's just not my scene. You just you can't hang with the big dogs. Nope, I need that yuppie tofu bullshit. 
Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Far afield from postcard. What was it? I had... I don't know. I don't have any other notes on postcards. That's... So I always I always thought this was kind of... This like concept of turn and face the wind was kind of interesting. What, what do you make of that? Well, I guess I, th- I think it's like some kind of... It's some kind of reckoning, right? Like... Nothing here to stand on. Turn and face the wind. They never get out. Forever caught in a spin. No better place to begin. Like kind of that circle. Like you're you're sort of caught in this in this feedback loop of yeah. things that keep happening to you over and over again. It is amazing how often Jay Ferrar's lyrics have this theme of like helplessness and trappedness and you know like lack of agency. Yeah, he's he he really nails that feeling. Um, you know, I don't. I guess I don't live in a small town uh, right now, and I don't. I don't feel like I have that lack of agency, but I feel like I have a lack of agency in other aspects of just just kind of where where things are going. Yeah. So it it uh, I, I do like that line. Though. I feel like it's really it's really interesting. Interesting. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in here. I heard a, I heard a good man scream. I that was interesting. I to me there's something that that's another there's like this really subtle class thing there I think that like I I'm probably just talking shit here, but I feel like, you know, it, a small a prototypical small town in the early 90s, you would hear people talk unironically about a good man. Like, if you are a fancy urban elite in 2018, I, I don't remember anyone talking about a good man. You know, like, a, you, you'd never hear, like, I heard a good man scream, just in casual conversation. Truth in advertising, Keith is a, a uh, urban elite. I No, definitely. Like, I'm... I'm I, He's actually smoking a pipe right now. <laughs> an opium pipe. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know. I, I gotta bring class into everything. Such a royale. That's right. God. It, oh. it, uh, so I always enjoy getting these uh, getting these lyrics with the guitar tab that I don't understand, uh, where it says, more freakout over these chords, D-A-G. This one has a good piece of freakout in it. That What does that mean? I, what I would call, I don't know if this is right, but what I would call the bridge of this song is just them making like, Noise, you know, it's basically like Ferrar sliding something back and forth over the pickups of his guitar to make noise, like, and I think that's their freak out. Um, it's a fun thing to do, it just seems like it could be like you know, make bloodhound dog noise with guitar be more helpful for me as a non-guitar player no they're you know they're 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 giving you agency you can freak out in whatever ways suits you best yeah just it it looks really technical like all these different things on the g chord where you're bending yeah b plus release i don't know what that means i gotta get over to this but i mean i you know, I guess Dave, Dave Nash, Dave at Cybex.com. Sounds like it should be in a Terminator movie. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay, I see what you got. Pro- props to you for, for. Yeah, I like solo. I can't really write out this guitar solo, but here's the chord forms. Yeah, I, very nice, Dave. 
Oh, Dave uses two spaces after a period. Damn you, Dave. <laughs> Although he probably did the he probably did this in like 1995. Yeah. So that I don't think the I don't think the single space after a period caught on. It wasn't a crime then. Do you? Uh, is it is it just so uncommon that people that play guitar know how to read music that it's? Yeah. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're trying to communicate how to play a rock song to more than like. 10% of the guitar playing population, you just use tab or chords. It's, it, so how do you learn that? Like, how do you learn to transcribe from playing to tablature? Like, do you have to sit and look at your hands and say... Yeah, yeah. I, tablature sucks. Like, I, everyone who... I, I feel a deep shame for not knowing how to read music. Like, every time I look at tab, I... You know, I feel like I'm rubbing my face and just... You shouldn't. I can read music and I can't play guitar for shit. I, yeah, but I mean, like, if, if someone put sheet music... You know, if you and I were sitting next to each other with guitars and someone put the sheet music for a song in front of us, you'd be able to play it and I wouldn't. What? No, I don't know. I don't know all the notes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could be like, yeah, this is what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> Teach, okay, so, teach me how to play this on the guitar. You could sing it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Tab, but I mean, tab sucks. It's not. It's not an efficient way to. Well, it's just. It, it's just interesting that like it, it. It's almost like VHS and Beta. Like you know, yeah. Beta was the superior product, but like so few people had it that VHS just sort of steamrolled them out of existence. Yeah. So, it's like yeah, you could take your fancy book learning sheet music and stick it where the sun don't shine. You take that over Tablature. to... You take that over to the jazz studio, friend. That's right. Well, should we cut this off? Because I know we're going to go along <laughs> on T-Moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Gotta feel like we need to clear space I, for that. I, I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. We will be back. <laughs> All right, it's D Boone time. I feel like this one's been looming. Before we get into the meat of the song, I just, you know, we were talking off mic about the uh, the Gumbo Pages tab. Again, tab. This guy, Dave Shapiro, who did this transcription, I love the uh, the demand of his email because it's dshapir at future.uswc.uswest.com. This dude is transcribing from the future. Holy shit. Yeah, and r- really easy to not mess up your email address yeah. with three fucking periods in it. <laughs> those were different times. Jeez. Do you remember those times? Remember those times, do you? I was not uh I was not as savvy with the uh with the uh the kind of nascent internet as uh, as a lot of people. Did you have that like weird guy on your dorm floor who was like a little too good at navigating the like the like pre yahoo internet yeah uh, yes um in my case the dude's name was spanky well his nickname was spanky and uh he was a who super fan and so he had like learned you know honed his his web surfing knowledge learning things about the who which actually sounds pretty cool if i describe it now but isn't he the same guy who got a degree in like mathematics and then read the fountainhead and or atlas shrugged and then quit that 
quit his profession to become a carpenter. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's fun stuff. That's good. That's good times right there. Uh, that's what being the uh, the 1995 web expert gets you. Yeah. So weirdly, we had uh, at Iowa State, we had this uh, thing called Project Vincent, okay. which was like the early the early access point to the internet. Sure. And there was this guy who lived on our floor. His name was Noah, who uh, who was just like he was like a savant in dealing with this like Unix terminal. Okay, like they ended up installing one in his dorm room. Nice. And he he was just a wizard with with like this complicated like he had all these commands and he was it was it was impressive. Like I feel like I feel a little bad for him that the internet evolved because <laughs> he could have been he could have been like a billionaire or a supervillain because he was <laughs> he was so far better than anyone else at this that it was it was impressive. You don't want to peak too early. Oh, okay, but I we're 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 putting off the inevitable. Yeah, the the Minuteman discussion. <laughs> yep. So I got to say when I first heard this song you know, we've talked before about how in the past what you what you were exposed to was just kind of random, you know, like what you happened to run across in real world. So I didn't know the Minutemen when I heard this song. Like I, I, I think I maybe knew they existed, but I didn't know their music, didn't know their personnel, didn't know anything. I thought the title of this song was some kind of oblique reference to Daniel Boone, you know, and there was some kind of like statement about Pioneer America being made. And for at least two years, I was positive that the first line was, uh, do you remember? Remember, do you? And I mean, in my defense, like this is what happens when you train listeners to expect (laughs) nonsense, awkward lines. So like, not my fault. Yeah, I guess now, now you would probably find out pretty quickly that it was a reference to someone in the Minutemen. Well, fuck, now Spotify would like pop up a little yellow window at you saying like, D. Boone was the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, the guitar is the guitar player for for the Minutemen. Who, I don't, have you ever seen a picture of the Minutemen? Yeah. Like this is kind of, this is one thing that I do like is is they, they are very odd looking <laughs> three piece. Yes. Right? Like the drummer kind of looks, he kind of looks like a really buff like surf guy. Yeah. Who, if he dyed his hair black, it could be in like the Misfits or something. Like he just, uh. and then you know, Deep Boone is this like kind of overweight guy, and then you know Mike Watts just like just like a different species. I don't. Uh. The thing I love about Mike Watt, and this is more like now than from the Minutemen days, but I love that his bass rivals Willie Nelson's guitar for like musical instruments that look like they've been to hell and back. <laughs> Um, you know, it's hard not to love him just for that. Yeah, and I, I, I really, and I, and we've Keith and I have talked about this a, a, probably too many times, but at least for me, I really wanted to like the Minutemen as a mm. as a band. Like, I like everything about them except their music. I feel yes. like like I, I like their I like the idea of them. I like their ethos. The jamming econo is cool. Yeah. Everything about them. There are a couple of songs even that I'm like, yeah, okay, this is all right. I'm getting it. But like I, Double Nickels for me is, you know, it's up there with Zen Arcade for like albums where I absolutely understand why they're important and why everyone whose taste I respect likes them. 
but I just cannot sit down and be like, yeah, I'll listen to this and enjoying every minute of it. I feel like it's kind of like that. Do you remember for a while everyone had that like Descendants T-shirt that yes. had the picture from like Milo goes to college, and I'm convinced yeah. that no one has actually listened to that album. <laughs> yes, I feel like I feel like this is this is kind of the same thing. Like yeah. it's I, I get this is another thing. Like I like the whole hardcore movement, yeah. but I just don't like a lot of the music that came out of it. Nah, it's it's just. It's just not very accessible for me. It's, you know, it's either either it's your thing or it's not. Either it's your thing or it's not. Oh, go ahead. No, it's it's just really a, a, the like, the Minutemen, especially. It's an interesting musical construct because it's basically spoken word over bass and drums with like guitar solos yeah. punched in. But you know, the relevant thing here is. That's happening with like funky time signatures with a lot of stops and starts. You know, it's such a clear reference point for for the Toop Boys. And so that's my question to you. Um, this song then, is it an homage to the Minutemen or is it a kind of signaling of like, hey, you know, we like these guys. We would like you to think of us when you think about them. You know, what do you think's going on? I think it's... I think it's an homage. Um, there, there's a line. And I think it's in this song. It's not on my, it's not on my tab. But where they say something about like it's just me and Jay playing our guitars. Yeah. Which, which I've always thought was was kind of a hopeful, not really hopeful, but but kind of a cool thing where it's it makes you remember that they grew up just being kids who were playing music. I always thought that was a cool line. But I think that's a direct callback to History Lesson Part 2. Uh, oh, you're probably right. I guess I'd never put that together. That like, Well, it's this funny thing where our friend Tom, at some point in undergrad, got really excited and pointed that line out to me. I was like, did you ever notice that line? And, and I was just like, yeah, that's a nice line. And like 15 years later, I'm like, oh, fuck. He was pointing out that, it, you know, I, I think he was pointing out that it was like a Minutemen reference. Yeah, me, but, me and Mike Watt. We played for years. Yeah, like... I didn't know the minute, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. So I, I think that's what they're, I think they're trying to draw a parallel between, yeah, between the, the Minutemen. I mean, two, three piece bands. Yeah. Kind of not minding the same territory, but the same, maybe, I don't know, motif. Doing like, some, yeah. Both kind of straddling genres or at least like doing really weird things within a genre. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, similarities just pile up i i think like one thing one of the many things i like about the minutemen without being a super fan they were really inclusive of their fans and their lyrics you know like a lot of their songs are like hey we're with you we're all in this together we're a big you know we're this weird sweaty movement um it feels like tweety is kind of going for that same feeling at least in this song i'm a little disappointed in myself that i never got that callback to history lesson so that's I'm stewing. Well, you're not, you know, you're just not. You're not the the Minutemen super fan. <laughs> no, I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me wonder too. Like I wonder, like it's inconceivable to me that Mike Watt hasn't heard this song. I wonder what he thinks of it. That would be it'd be interesting. Although if you talk to him about it, you'd have to listen to his annoying voice. Okay, this is nuts. Um, I was at work randomly I was at work last week and just out of nowhere, I don't remember what the context was, 
But out of nowhere, my boss just starts talking about how he's had a beer with Mike Wad. Really? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, um, and according to him, Mike Watt is a really fun guy to have a beer with. Um, you oh, know, I'd you, imagine you get a lot of like side hugs and like shoulder punches. I'd imagine and, you'd be a pretty fun guy to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the thing he said, like you just you do not mention D Boone. Like, well, I well, yeah, that's that's sort of a social norm, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, whenever possible, don't you know, don't bring up somebody's dead best friend. <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> probably probably a pretty good rule of thumb. <laughs> Seems to be a good way to shut down that conversation. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess that like that that begs the question. Like, did he have to be told that that he shouldn't bring up D Boone? Or? No, what he said, what happened? Like, he, you know, he and a friend of his were just hanging out, talking to D Boone after a fire hose show. Um, they were having a great time, and then his friend, my my boss's friend, started asking Boone or not Boone, Watt about D Boone, and uh, and Watt was just like, okay, we're done, and got up and left. So they learned the hard way. Yeah, I feel like that's not a lesson you should have to be taught. Yeah, that... Hey, remember that friend of yours who died? Yeah. Let's talk about him. <laughs> Let's talk about one of the great tragedies of rock and roll right. that you're intimately involved with. Right, yeah, like the, the van that you were in when he died? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's really, it seems a little callous. Yeah, I don't know. But I did not go into work that day expecting to hear that one. Yeah, it's a cool story. Well, I, uh... Sadly, I don't know if I would even recognize Mike Watt. Well, first of all, I, I doubt I'd be at a fire hose show. So <laughs> that probably eliminates one <laughs> one huge chunk of the Venn diagram. Uh, Although he's, I don't, his fire, fire hose isn't still touring, are they? No. Now Watt does this weird thing where he like he puts together a new band every eighteen months or so, and all of the names. So it's tough because like. As we were just saying, like the dude's been involved in a very serious tragedy, um, you know. And before that, he was in one of these like j- bands with like a giant cult following. So it's understandable why he like keeps orbiting that. But there's this feeling that like maybe he's a little too attached to the past. That like he puts together these bands now who's names are all like variations of the Minutemen. So it's like the second men or the, you know, that is, that is a little sad. It's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not here to pass judgment on Mike Watt. Like if that works for him, more power to him. Yeah. I wonder, I, I almost wonder just like, I'd never put this together, but Tweety style might be, it, might be influenced a lot by Mike Watts' bass style. Yeah, I think like they both they both have kind of that punchy sound. Yeah. So I wonder if it's uh, I wonder if it's an homage to the Minutemen, and I wonder if that's why they were influential to to oh, Jeff Tweedy. I think so. Yeah, I think that's I, you know I I think that's like one influence of many. It is a little bullshit that Uncle Tupelo then records a song called D Boone. They never recorded a song called Jay Mascus. If we want to look at like the other giant influence looming behind them. That's because Jay Mascus never wrote a, a song about caulking a shower tub. <laughs> that we know of. I mean, that's sometimes true. he's kind it's of It's true. I, I haven't. That's, that's a fair point. <laughs> I just, oh. for whatever reason, I, I remember in the, I don't know, probably right around 2000, maybe a little before I... Uh, 
I think the statute of limitations has passed on this. I downloaded a bunch of Minutemen songs from <laughs> on Napster, and that was the first one that came up. And I just remember listening to it, and it's like it, they just keep repeating, like the tub must be properly caught before showering. Don't you shower? And I was like, what is what is happening here? Has someone played a joke on me? And of course, being that you know, I was, I was had a super slow internet connection. It took me like five minutes to download that song. Oh, was, was not a particularly happy camper. <laughs> Those were different times. Oh, um, getting back to the song. So one thing that I think is interesting with this one, like the the rhythm of the opening of this makes it sound to me, I always thought this, even like when I first got the album, it sounds like it's a continuation of Postcard. You know, like they kept playing the same song, but like Tweety ran over and grabbed the mic. Um, It's a weird thing. Like it's kind of cool, but kind of disorienting. And it reminds me of when that same thing kind of happened on the first two songs of No Depression, where like they have kind of the same rhythm and you can almost read it as, you know, like Tweety heard the Ferrar song and was like, well, I got mine too. And I don't know. I wonder if they, it's weird that they put the, they put both of those next to each other yeah. on both albums. Yeah. Because like usually, you know, like I've said a bunch of times, I think they're really good and smart about sequencing, but that is a thing that happens at least twice. Maybe they like that. They like that structure. Yeah, maybe. We'll see if it happens again on March. Exactly. Now we have our eyes open. I feel like on this one, another like kind of weird callback to No Depression. We talked about on other songs, it sounded like Tweety had taken a leap forward here singing. I think on this one, he sounds less developed and more like, the young no, no depression version of Jeff Tweedy. Yeah, it almost sounds like he's singing like on a demo tape or something. Yeah. Like he he doesn't. I mean, one thing that that Tweedy is kind of interesting to me because it's like it takes a lot of it takes a lot of self confidence to to go out there and play kind of sometimes silly songs yeah. that are that have sometimes they have really simple guitar parts and but he nails it. And his writing got a lot better. Yep. But I feel like this one is just sort of, just kind of, hey, I was really influenced by the Minutemen. I'm going to find some things, some words that work in here. Well, I, funny you brought that up. I've got like this extended note. I think like, if you look at the words in print here, to me, this song looks like he wrote a lot of sentences without having any thought about how the, the breaks were going to fall on them as you sang them over music lines. So like shit, just appears on the page without any musical sense at all. You know, it it was just today looking up the words that I finally understood what he was saying in the thing about, and if Managua's bullets don't fly, young men would still die for glory. He fucks up the rhythm of that so much to make it fit to the, you know, fit, fit to the music that like, it's just, it's just syllables. Yeah. That's why that's, that's one of the reasons I feel like I'm I'm not great at remembering lyrics because I expect them to be. <laughs> you expect communication, right? Yeah. Uh, I I will quibble with one of the lines where he says just the songs that he sang. Yeah. Emphasis on sang. Like, <laughs> just the songs that, that he, he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing I love. Um, 
a little bit a little bit behind the curtain. Um, I have one word docked that I just keep saving as for my show notes here. Uh, so the show eight show notes, you know, was originally the, the show seven so show notes. I have three song slot. So, um, you know, this D Boone is taking over the slot in that that Watch Me Fall had. I had a note in the slot three for Watch Me Fall that just said country drums, lots of stop start. And that's this song too. You can reuse the same note. That, uh, and that, that ain't a good thing, I don't think. So, so are you suggesting that Uncle Tupelo is, is like musical Mad Libs? Is that what you're going with? <laughs> Saying there's a little bit, you know, the sameness is just kind of... It, it's it, the flatness. Exactly. Exactly. That's very metatextual. That's that's what I'm going... I don't know what that means, but that's what I'm going with. So I uh, I, I guess the uh, one thing we, sh- we should probably talk about before we before we wrap up is is kind of what what do you think their current position on the Minutemen is do you think they're do you think if you if you sat down with Tweety or Farrar right now and you're like okay you've had 25 years to reflect on it how do you feel about the Minutemen I think okay I just as these sentences were forming in my head I can feel like I am uncomfortable with how politically conservative this sounds but um i feel like if you're a musician that's at all in the indie space today you could not say anything bad about the minutemen without like bringing down such a negative response that you know this weird like music world form of something that I guess kind of resembles the idea of political correctness says you must not say bad things. About so the they're like Radiohead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know. I got to go home after we get done taping. I'm going to have to sit down and think about like what I'm becoming just for thinking that. But Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've, and I've probably talked about this on different podcasts before, but I went through this phase of really wanting to like Henry Rollins too. You know, like sometimes, sometimes I get excited about sort of the idea of things yeah, and the actual execution doesn't quite line up for me. And so that like, I, I wanted to like, I wanted to like the Minutemen so badly when I was 22. Yeah. uh, And it just never clicked for me. So, oh. I mean, maybe when I'm 52, it'll click for me. Maybe. I, I've i seen this thing about Hendrix a lot that, like, people who saw, got to see Jimi Hendrix live say that, like, the recordings he left behind are, you know, like, like if you're experiencing Jimi Hendrix through an album, you're not experiencing Jimi Hendrix. And, like, his brilliance was really, really only visible live. Maybe that's true with the Minutemen. Maybe, like, if we had seen them play... We would be like, oh, fuck, this is the best. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think you you probably have to take it in context with what's what's going on around you. Yeah. If if you're in San Pedro, uh, I guess I don't know what the dominant form of music at the time was. I mean, maybe, maybe you feel like, feel like hardcore punk isn't for you and you're looking for something else that's not hair metal. I suppose, like, if you were in the punk scene, you probably did just get so tired of bands that were like Black Flag, but not quite as good. And, you know, in that world, like, 
I, the Minutemen probably did seem pretty fucking rad. Yeah. That, you know, like, oh, God, he doesn't have just a wall of distortion on his guitar. Yes, give me more of this. It's it, it, like all of the all the Seattle sound bands were really influenced by the Melvins. Yeah. Who, I don't know if you've ever listened to any of the Melvins, but like basically like a metal band. Yeah. Like, like it's just interesting that like that spawned all of this you know, grunge and even the like slow metal of Alice in Chains. Yeah. And Pearl Jam. It just came out of this people that were really into this kind of obscure band in Washington. I don't know. Influences are weird and genre boundaries are weird. Maybe there'll be an entire generation of like Canadian reggae rappers that are influenced by that guy Snow. <laughs> Sing that song Informer. <laughs> Which was also a favorite of that dude Spanky who was the, uh, <laughs> bringing it all back home. <laughs> um, it's it's really odd to me that that his two the only two artists that I know that he really likes are The Who and Snow. <laughs> Another thing, okay, like, I think I have the details of this right. Um, he got in trouble <laughs> at the campus radio station for, there were these, like, PSAs that we'd have to play. You know, every so often, it was just every 15 minutes you play a PSA. Um, he thought they were dumb, so he <laughs> would, like... <laughs> Just put a put a Zeppelin song on one of the, the turntables, and bring and then put the PSA on, and just like bring the fader up and down between the two, and call it like you know just call it like the PSA mix. So that like that that actually makes him sound really awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things where like telling the story is pretty great. Yeah, it sounds like a folk hero to me. Uh, you know. The difference between a hero and an irritant is time, I guess. Yeah, so this is this is just you got me thinking with this spanky story, like so when I was in college and in Iowa there was this this person that uh that was sort of nobody figured out who it was, but was sort of infamous for putting a piranha in the <laughs> fountain, the memorial union. This actually happened. <laughs> yes. And the piranha bit like <laughs> like three maintenance workers are trying to trying to get it out of the fountain. And I remember thinking, like, this is a guy I want to have a beer with. Like <laughs> like what's the like where do where do these ideas even come from? Like no kidding. Like how do you like you're just sitting around, you're like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to a pet store, buy a piranha, put it in a fountain. This is what I'm gonna do. I assume the pet store is in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, like overflowing with piranhas. It's the easiest thing in the world to get. Look, so I guess I can see having the idea, maybe, but like, like actually executing and going to get the piranha and following through, like that's you know, like. That person, that person is one of my folk heroes. That's that's magnificent. If I had a hat, it would be off. <laughs> uh, bringing it back to deep. <laughs> I guess my, my last note on this is, uh, you know, this, so this is a pretty good song. It's got a lot of like extra metatextual interest stuff to it. But this is another one, I think, that if this was the first Uncle Tupelo song that you heard, I don't know that you'd hear a second. 
Like it, it's interesting if you know everything that's going on outside of the song, but yeah, it's. I mean, you always feel a little douchey saying this, but like, you know, it's kind of like you, you need the context to understand the yeah. song. Like yeah. you're out of your element, Donnie. This is this is a song for the super fans. Yeah, and I mean, I mean that's you, you sort of blown my mind with the callback to. Now I'm going to go home and listen to history lesson and try to get back into the minute, man. Yeah, what if this which is the will, thing that pushes which, you over? Which will fail again. What if it doesn't, though? What if, like, this is day one of your Minutemen phase? That, I mean, honestly, that'd be awesome. I just, I feel like this is, this is me and Gravity's Rainbow, where every <laughs> five years I work up the, I work up the, the energy to try to read it again, and I'm just like, yeah, it, it's not for me. <laughs> I think, leave yourself open to this possibility. You go home, you listen to it, it takes hold. You go buy an SG bass, you become, like, the new avatar of Mike Watt. And then Mike Watt sues me for like <laughs> copyright infringement. Mike Watt would never sue someone for copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. I, the worst he'd do would be show up on your front door and just shake his head and walk away looking disappointed. That'll be my closing argument in court. <laughs> Jam Econo. <laughs> exactly. E2. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, anything else on D Boone? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. Uh, watch out for piranhas in your fountains. I am Keith Pilly. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. I'm Chad Cook. You can find me at uh, Cook6252. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you've got anything to say about the show, uh, anything you liked or didn't like. Um, interesting college pranks i guess that that, that's inbounds now um if you dug the show please tell people about it uh, or go to itunes or google play and leave a review and then the algorithms will be slightly more likely to recommend us to people who go in and search uncle tupelo podcast and somehow don't get to us um yeah thanks again and talk to you soon it's creepy I love the creepy outfit. Yeah, I know. That's that's your jam. That's all I got. <laughs>